Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan in tonight for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen, and Nadine Terman, as well as Pete Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. Tonight on Fast, a major move in the metals market. Freeport McMurrin topping the tape despite a big downgrade. How our traders are playing the breakout. Plus, a small world with big gains. How options trades are betting on Disney to deliver some serious happiness to investors. And later, our chart of the week. This stock kicking into high gear, gaining more than 15% since Tuesday. That name is coming up ahead, but we'll start with an epic fall for Apple. The stock shedding more than $85 billion in market cap after a judge ruled against the company and its battle royale versus the maker of Fortnite. Let's get to Josh Lipton for all the details that came down this afternoon. Hi, Josh. So, Courtney, a historic high-profile antitrust fight between Apple and Epic. And now we do have that decision. Apple winning on 9 of 10 counts. The judge saying Apple is not a monopolist. The court cannot ultimately conclude, the judge saying, that Apple is a monopolist under either federal or state antitrust laws. Apple's Kate Adams saying, we are very pleased with the court's ruling, and we consider this a huge win for Apple. Epic's Tim Sweeney, on the other hand, not sounding as happy tweeting, today's ruling isn't a win for developers or for consumers. But it was not a total victory for Apple either. The judge also saying that Apple must give developers the option to steer users to outside payment systems. Now, that could impact Apple's App Store sales, which grossed an estimated $64 billion in 2020. But lots of remaining questions here for investors. Will Apple appeal this decision? And even if this rule is implemented, how would consumers respond? Gene Munster of Loop Ventures bets most consumers, even if given alternatives, would actually stick with Apple's payment system because it's simpler, easier, and more convenient. Munster estimates the financial impact if this injunction were enforced. Worst case, a 4% hit to annual annual earnings for the first year. More likely, he says, a 1% hit. However, this does not end challenges for the App Store. It has been under increasing scrutiny with regulators and lawmakers taking, we know, a much harder look at this business. Courtney, back to you. Yeah, well, very interesting day, and I'm not sure that everyone agrees that it was a win for Apple, especially if you look at the share reaction. Josh, thank you. Let's trade this and get the opinions of our traders here tonight. I'm going to start with you, Karen. I mean, what do you make of this ruling? We saw Apple shares fall, but Josh says Apple says they're happy with it. Okay, Apple's not a monopoly, but they have to allow other options for these in-app purchases. Are we going to gain back some of what we lost today for Apple once this has been digested? Or is this really going to hurt Apple in the long run, maybe 4 percent or more, as Gene Munster calculates? Well, we don't know exactly, right? Gene brought up the point. We'll see how users actually end up purchasing, right? Do they go outside of the Apple for that? Or how, what's, the, how, what's the mechanism to be able to do that? But what's interesting to me is, okay, anytime you have a lawsuit, there's uncertainty. So what was the market expecting? Were they expecting just an absolute, complete Apple victory? I, I didn't think so. 
So this pullback of 3% on a day when the market was down 250, so wherever it closed, um, isn't so gigantic, particularly given the run that Apple's had. So, I mean, part of me is saying the market is just kind of going to shrug it off. We'll see. Does Apple appeal this? Probably. Does Epic appeal what the, you know, the parts that they lost? Um, I don't know. I, I assume so, but I'm not really sure. I do think, though, that the judge's words about it not being a monopoly are important, and that is a win. That, that threat has sort of been hanging over Apple. So I think ultimately it's not going to be that big of a deal. We'll see once it's implemented. Sort of reminds me a little bit of GDPR in Europe and what was that going to do to Google and Facebook and ultimately it didn't end up doing very much at all. So yep. we'll, we'll see, but as an Apple shareholder, I'm staying long. This is not okay. going to shake me out of the stock. Okay. Bonwin, what do you make of this? Is this an opportunity to jump in and take some profits, or do you agree with Karen and think that if you have Apple in your portfolio, you hold with it right here? Um, short answer is yes. If it's in your portfolio, I definitely don't think you're, you're um, getting out of the name. <clears throat> but if we take a step back and we think about like the Apple story, a big reason behind why it should get the multiple expansion that it's gotten is that it should be valued at least partially as a, as a service company. Right. So I do think there is some risk there. But now let's talk about like theoretically what may happen versus practically what is likely to happen. So theoretically, yes, there's these alternative methods of payment that may siphon off some profitability from this service behemoth. But practically speaking, I think whenever you're dealing with a consumer facing type of business, you're definitely shedding some light into what consumer behavior is. And if we've seen anything from Apple, whether it's people kind of like uh, re-engaging, buying new iPhones, every time there's a new cycle, you've kind of seen that there, there is a bit of habitual nature to how people are going to interact. And so, uh, practically speaking, I think that the risk is, is likely to be much more muted than the worst case scenario that we're speaking of here. So I think if you've been looking for a pullback, I think this is an opportunity for you to maybe add slightly to your position. I always am against like backing up the truck and buying everything in one clip, but I don't think there's reason yet for you to completely puke your position, not at all. Nadine, what do you make of this? I mean, Apple did have $64 billion in its App Store revenue in 2020. So maybe this does take a bite of it, but maybe not enough to be significant. Or maybe it is. What do you make? I think that Bonoan and Karen are right. And what you look at is what's the worst case scenario and then you start cutting it down, right? Which is it's not really a rate of 30%, maybe a blended rate of 22, 23%. Okay, so the hit isn't that bad. And then I think what Bonoan's getting at, it's about friction. So if it's a lot of friction for a customer to do something different, they might just not do it, not care. So if it's, you know, call it 80 cents versus a dollar for an in-game purchase, they might not change their behavior. So when you look at that, you know, and obviously it had a run up, but today we're looking at it being oversold. So maybe our trading range is 147 to 158. That gives me seven and a half odds upside versus downside. And people are paying for protection. So we're saying they're paying a lot for protection. I've got more upside than downside. This probably isn't as, as bad as the headline. And I actually think it's a huge win for Apple. They're saying they're not a monopoly. So if I'm Apple, I don't think I would contest this. I'd say, all right, I lost on one out of 10. I'm going home pretty happy. And Mr. Nigerian, what do you make of that? I see you nodding well, along with what Nadine had to say there about well, the judge's comments in regards to the monopoly or not. Yeah, I totally agree with what Nadine was saying right there. As a matter of fact, when I, I talked to uh, um, 
a couple of different people, Gene Munster being one of them, uh, as we got all this news today. And he talked about it being noise, being very short term in terms of the impact, he thinks. And to the point of all three, uh, I think that there is a comfort level and people will stay somewhere, even if it might not be at the right price. They might stay somewhere just from a comfort perspective, so the losses probably wouldn't be at that higher end. I think Gene was saying 1% to 4%. Well, I think he'd lean more towards the 1% because of the, of, in terms of the losses that they would have. But it's a really interesting day. There's no doubt about it. This is something, you know, let's just go back to June, though. Stock was 123. Then it was 157 a couple of days ago. Here we are. We pulled all the way back to what, 148? So let's, let's not get overboard. This is exactly where the stock was on the run-up on August 27th, two weeks ago today. So um, the pullback doesn't seem like a whole lot to it to me. Fair enough. Uh, Karen, let me, let me throw one out there and, and think about who could be a beneficiary of this ruling. Are there any names that might actually benefit from being able to uh, take in some revenue from these in-app purchases that might have previously gone to Apple? Is there sort of an under-the-radar trade we could be thinking about here? Well, it's not so under the radar, but I think for a name like Match, right, you know, Barry Diller was quite vocal about how onerous the Apple charges are uh, to be on the App Store, right? So, so to the extent that maybe there's a model for those, that rate being reduced, it's good for them. It's good. I mean, a number of ones who, who you know, uh, Spotify or um, Bumble, I think, names like that, that, um, you know, maybe they'll, their margins will improve if they're not paying so much to Apple. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Nadine, I want to give you the last chance to wrap this one up here. What else should we be thinking about as we watch this slide in Apple that it seems like most of the traders believe is a little bit overdone because the long-term damage to Apple may, may not be so bad after all? I think you can, you know, if you don't have a position, you can start to enter. If you have a position, you don't have to worry. Um, I wouldn't go out buying protection right here. So I think you can just stay the course. We're going to learn a lot next week about fundamentally uh, the strategy for some of their products and new product launches. So I just view this as we've had a bit of a weak market. Tech sold off. Tech overall is oversold. So just stay the course. And if you want to add because you don't have a full position, it's time to add. Fair enough. Well, let's move on and check out shares of Freeport McMoran topping the tape today, rising as much as 5% before closing up nearly two. The strength does come despite a downgrade from Credit Suisse, which cut its rating on the stock to underperform and dropped its price target to 29 bucks. The move higher helped by rising copper prices. The metal rising more than 3%. Let's trade it. Pete, what do you make of this move? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting downgrade. I think the reason that I st- remain bullish, I own calls. I've ha- I've owned the stock. I've owned calls. I've, and there's been a lot of call activity in here looking for even more upside. I think when you look at the different components of what copper really is feeding into now, it's not exactly what it was, obviously, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And the, the exposure that they've got right now that copper has to the EV environment That is something huge. We talk about clean energy all the time. Globally, everybody's talking about the global demand from around um, all different parts of the earth now for copper, I think, is something that that does stand out. So I I remain long. I continue to think that on a pullback, I'd still want to be in Freeport Mac because when you look at it, this is the biggest and baddest out there. And I think this is the company that you'd want to be in so you can have that exposure as we go forward over the next couple of years. And, Pete, I think you made some trades, some call activity here in FCX. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I absolutely have. As a matter of fact, we've seen all kinds of different activity in different months going out into the future. But I'll tell you what, we've seen aggressive call buying in here. There's no doubt about it. That's where I am right now because after the run, after some of this pullback that we've seen, I think right now the smarter move for me would be to be in the options. And at some point in time, I'll get back in the stock as well. But for right now, I'm just in the calls. Okay. Um, Bono, when you look at the copper market or freeport McMoran maybe specifically, how much do you think we can glean indications of what the economy is doing? Do we see that correlation right now as we have in the past? Or is there some separation going on there where you don't want to read more into the price action in freeport McMoran than really some of these upgrades and downgrades moves? Well, there's definitely some correlation there, right? Particularly as you look at um, base metal prices and, and inflations and outlooks for growth. And I think that that's going to be a lot more forward looking. I would say the one thing that concerns me, and, and honestly, I, it, it makes me support Pete's thesis, is that if you look at the run that Freeport has had, right, like this shouldn't necessarily be moving lockstep with both um, inflation or growth expectations and what might be an uplift in the EV market. So I think the calls make a lot more sense because it defines your risk. And if you kind of look technically at where the stock has been trading, it kind of double topped up around 45, and then it's kind of been in, in somewhat of a downtrend after bouncing off of that $40 level May and then early August. So I think here, there's much more, I think there's much more risk to the downside, and I would define it by owning calls. With that said, I do think the stock likely finds a range. I do like the EV um, upside there, although I think I would play it slightly different. Purely speaking to base metals and purely looking at the, purely looking at the technicals, I think calls are the way to play this, um, only because I think in the interim, the stock has run up quite a bit, the market seems soft, and I do think we will see some short-term choppiness. Karen, are you playing in this space at all, whether it's copper as a as a base metal, whether it's the EV play or Freeport McMoran options or the stock outright? No, none of it. My only sort of commodity driven, uh, and they all sort of move together, they do most days, um, would be the OIH, which is just, you know, the ETF to have a wide um, between, you know, all parts of the E&P and services where I want to be, but um, I don't want to choose specifically. So I just sort of, I view it as somewhat of a punt, but I want to have energy exposure. So I have the OIH. Got it. Well, we're going to wrap this up there and move on because coming up is our chart of the week. This stock pedaling higher and gaining more than 15% since Tuesday. That name, we gave you some clues, but the name straight ahead. And later on, options action, the happiest trade on earth, how you can play Disney for a big breakout. So you don't want to go anywhere. Best Money is back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. The day of the attack, I worked for a company called Robert M. Corley. One of our clerks' name was Angel Pabone. His father's name was Chicky Pabone. He ran all ADRs for Kenner Fitzgerald. A wonderful man, well-known in the business. His son was on the phone with him when the buildings got hit. He said, son, I'm being evacuated. We're going to the roof. Helicopters will come and get us. And at that point, the phone went dead. He lost his life during the attack, and I will always think of him. That was New York Stock Exchange trader Peter Tuckman remembering 9-11. As the world pauses to mark the 20th anniversary, the U.S. intelligence community says there is a new and growing threat starting to emerge. CNBC senior Washington correspondent Eamon Javers is live at the White House with more. Hi, Eamon. Hi, Courtney. When intelligence experts look back on September 11th, they think of it as a failure, most of all, of imagination. Collectively, they simply couldn't imagine airplanes being used in suicide attacks. And today, they worry the same failure of imagination could be happening again, this time in cybersecurity. I talked to retired Admiral Mike Rogers this week. He's the former head of the super-secret National Security Agency, and he told me why he's worried. It's fair to say the only limit broadly in cyber these days is the limits of the imagination, because there's almost no limit to what you can do. And that's why in New York, the NYPD and others have established a new cyber command center to watch for new threats heading to New York. Whether it's a highly sophisticated cyber actor in a organized terrorist group or whether it's a hostile foreign power that's an actual government, you're going to see the ability to attempt to get into critical infrastructure systems that you're going to need to use in the event of an attack, whether that's from a nation state or a terrorist group, and to disable those systems um, when you need them most. Now, John Miller told me he worries about the possibility of terrorists using ransomware attacks on companies to raise funds for future terrorist attacks. And it's imagining that combination of terror tactics and cyber that officials are concerned about today. Back over to you, Gordon. Eamon Javers, thank you very much for covering this and all the coverage that you've done surrounding the anniversary. Be sure to catch a special edition of The News with Shepard Smith. America remembers 20 years later. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. While the markets close lower on this shortened trading week and on this Friday, you can see down by less than a percent for all the major averages. But that tech-heavy Nasdaq did close down the most of all three down about nine-tenths of a percent, marking five straight down sessions for the market. Pete, how are you positioned setting up going into next week? We know that September is typically a bad month for the bulls. But, of course, history does not always portend what will happen in the future still you got to set the plate going into next week. What should we know? Absolutely. I think the one thing that really stood out for me, Courtney, quite frankly, is just that we finally are starting to see a little bit of the rise in volatility. We had not really seen a whole lot of that. Yeah, we've, we've bounced up there and immediately pulled back. But as we went through the week this week, we just consistently were getting a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Today, we closed just off of those highs, just underneath 21. Now, in the past, when we've seen the volatility index get above 20, it hasn't been able to sustain that for more than a couple of days, and then it's pulled back. So this is really interesting, I think, as we set up for next week, a full week next week, and see what kind of volatility will we be able to sustain? What kind of movement are we going to continue to have? We've had some very broad 
from the highs to the lows and all that movement in between. And that's something that we had in the past. We hadn't seen a lot of that recently, and now we're seeing that as well. So I just think we have to put on our seatbelts a little bit here. And as you said, September can be a little bit rocky. I think we've already started to set up a little bit for that rockiness. Yeah, and we've got a little more than half the month left to go, too. So I think it's a, a good warning sign for all of us just to be ready. We never know, right, in this last year and a half. Yeah. Goodness sakes, all of the curveballs have been thrown our way. What well, is now time to reveal our chart of the week? This stock on an uphill climb, gaining more than 16% since Tuesday. It is the best week of the year. It's Peloton. The stock jumping nearly 7% today alone in a down market. Nadine, you flagged the breakout. What's your take here? What's going on? Sure, Courtney. Well, the stock was oversold. So just from a technical perspective, sometimes things go up because they were down. It's really simple. <laughs> but secondarily, Lululemon had a, a fantastic quarter that they printed this week. So when you have someone who had a fantastic quarter and then they came out saying, hey, we're going to do Peloton apparel, um, you can take a look at that and say, OK, you know, there's really passionate base here. Something's oversold. There's going to be monetary value to this, and the stock goes up. So we're looking at a, a trading range about 92 to 118. Um, so when we look at that, that's a five to one upside. Sorry, five to one downside. So right now, after the run, now it's overbought. But before the run, it was oversold. Um, there's 11% short interest though. So this is not something I'd want to go short. Uh, no pun intended with the Peloton apparel comment. But it is something you have to be a little bit careful and trade the range. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of catalysts there that Nadine brought up, Karen, and we were teasing before that, you know, if somebody's a Peloton rider, because they make sure to tell you. Now they're going to have apparel to make sure you really know, just in case you don't get time for conversation. Um, but besides that, we also had a firm earnings come out, and that is a big customer for the buy now, pay later with these really big pricey purchases. Um, any play there in, in some of this run, or is it for the main two reasons that Nadine stated, Karen? I think, well, I love the reason, the first reason, which was sometimes, what was it exactly? I think she was very eloquent as things, if they go down a lot, then they go up. And uh, something like that, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that absolutely <laughs> happens all the time. So that's worth noting. But to, to the extent that one assigns the increase in value in Peloton to the apparel, it seems kind of crazy to me, right? If you look at something like uh, an Under Armour, which, okay, the brand has a little, you know, some, some knocks on it, maybe some scratches, but that's a um, $10 billion business, and they do $5.4 right. billion in sales. Peloton is up $5 billion on this, $5 billion, right? That's yeah. a lot. Peloton, a lot. I mean, that is a lot because we don't really know how much the sales are going to be. If you look at something like Athleta, that's maybe worth $4 billion. They're doing at least a billion in sales. So, I don't know. A lot of that sort of priced into the to the shorts already. Uh, the Peloton shorts, not right. the short sellers. <laughs> not, and not, not so, the shorts. Either. I don't know. It's all expensive for me. As a bike company, it's, I love it. I'm not going to buy the apparel, but I love the bike. I use it all the time. Fair not, enough. Not the stock. It is already time for the final trade. I can't believe it. Pete, we'll start with you. I'm going to give you a CCJ, Kamiko. A lot of options have been, been being bought in there. I think the stock continues to go higher. Nadine. Donaher, DHR. What we love is that they haven't changed their guidance. We think we're sandbagging, and they're going to have more tests this fall with flu and COVID. Thank you all very much. That's all we have time for. That does it for Fast Money. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.